All right, we're glad to have you here tonight. We appreciate you being a part of the meeting. We're just grateful and thankful that God let us be here. My boy is with us, Chris, and Brother Brandon, one of our college students that has been uh, educated and schooled in our Bible school that has been much prayed for and supported by people just like you. And we do appreciate your input. We thank God for your investment in what we're doing. We thank God for all the men uh, that have come down and been a part of the working crews that have helped us out at Garden City Rescue Mission. God uh, has let us see hundreds and hundreds of people saved and baptized. It's unusual at any one of our public services of the 60 or 70 men that come and now women and children in the uh, women and children's section, it's very uncommon that we don't see at least a handful of them walk the aisle and give their life to Jesus. Every time that happens, it is a coupon clipped on your behalf to your credit that God will in eternity reveal to you and reward you for it. And I'm thankful and grateful that we can labor together with God and watch him do some wonderful things for us. I'm grateful to see Jeff and his family and the Wisnets and have them to be a part of the meeting also. Buy their stuff out there. The pork and beans that they eat demand that you help them. And them biscuits that Susan makes and, then, and, and them two teenagers they got eating them out of house and home. So, so go by and see them if you will and I would appreciate it. There is a tape back there uh, on the tape table entitled What to Do When It's Out of Your Control. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened to me that I couldn't control. I don't like any of them. I get up in the morning and look up and say, be easy on me today. It was all I could do to make it through yesterday. I, I need the Lord to cut me a little slack sometimes because there's a whole lot that happens I don't understand. But I sure am glad there's nothing ever happens that's not in his plan and under his control. When it's out of mine, it's in his. When it's out of mine, it's in his. Get that tape. It'll help you. It'll encourage you. It will, it will satisfy and sustain your faith and give you some encouragement going down the road. I want you to take your Bible tonight, please, and for the time in the Word of God, I want you to look with me, if you will, at the book of uh, 1 Samuel, chapter number 29, 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 29, and I want you to listen while I bring you up to a text verse. And I'm going to do something a little uncommon for me. I'm going to preach a topical thought that I've never preached uh, out on the road, that I have never tried out on anybody. So it's, a, it's going to be a trial run. If it dies on me, it was your fault because y'all didn't help me. If it succeeds, I'm still brilliant. So I would appreciate any help you can give me on this one. 
and uh, I trust that you'll uh, remember the story of Saul. When Saul was little in his own eyes, God said, you were okay. When you were nothing to yourself, you were something to me. But all of a sudden, Paul got what mama used to say over in Bryson City, North Carolina. She'd say, you got too big for your britches. Sometimes that happens to God's people. They get too broad for their pants. They get just a little bit big for the fabric. They stretch because they begin to think they're more than they really are. I have done it. I, I, I say it to my own demise, uh, but I have done it. I have gotten bigger than I am, and God has always just left a handprint right on the side of my head when he dealt with me. And I know I'm saved for the simple reason he doesn't let me get away with that stuff, and he doesn't let you either if you're born again. So Saul was going up against the Philistines, and God told him and gave him specific instruction, kill everything moving. Kill the people. <laughs> I want you to kill the animals. I want you to kill everything moving. I don't want nothing left alive. Now that was strong, but it was necessary. He was not doing wrong to somebody. He was doing right for Israel. He was keeping his people from idolatry. And so they went down against the Philistines and they won the war and they began to bring back Agag, a king. They didn't kill the king like they were supposed to. They also began to bring back animals and they began to bring back sheep and they began to bring back sacrificial things and ornaments that they were going to supposedly present to God. Well, God had already told them he didn't want it. It is never right to do wrong. I don't care how you justify it. Are you listening? And the scripture says they, they, that they brought all this back and Samuel heard something as they were coming. He asked Saul a question. He said, what is this I hear? He said, the bleeding of sheep. These sheep, bah, bah, they're walking and they're moving toward their disobedient destination only to be done away with later because God said everything dies in this campaign. Saul made up an excuse to Samuel and told Samuel, he said, I brought them back for the church. I brought them back for sacrifice. We'll use them to sacrifice to the Lord. You have nothing God wants if he said kill it. You have nothing to bring to God under false pretense or hypocritical excuses if God has said kill it. And the Bible teaches us and tells us in no uncertain terms Samuel was put out 
with his excuse. And the Bible tells us and the Bible teaches us that Saul began to plead with uh, Samuel and ask him what he could do. Well, uh, that is the downfall of this king. That is the downfall of this military might. Samuel goes on to meet God. Samuel goes to his grave. Samuel goes on into paradise where all the Old Testament saints of God were kept. There he was. Saul didn't know what to do because there wasn't a prophet. He didn't know what to do because there wasn't a plan. He didn't know what to do because he lost his purpose because you'll never get God talked into anything that God's already talked himself out of. Are you listening? Saul didn't know which end was up. For the simple reason Samuel is dead and he knows nothing to do but to hunt a witch. When you have come down to your counselor is a witch, I suggest you have backslidden. Now, everybody needs to look at me right here because if you look sideways, she's going to slap you. Don't do that. Let me give you some encouragement. Just look right up here. <laughs> he went to the witch of indoor, not an outdoor witch. He went for an indoor one. He went and he... He solicited her under false pretense and a false garb. He solicited her to bring Samuel up. This is some demonic stuff. A familiar spirit. A demonic activity. A witch. She didn't know who it was at first and the the Bible says that she calls up out of paradise, out of a holding place till the cross was complete and Christ had died and risen. The scripture says that she calls Samuel up and Samuel said, why have you disquieted me? He's talking to Saul. Saul said, because I didn't know which end was up and I didn't know what to do and that we've got a battle coming, and they never went to battle without God's approval, and the approval came through the preacher, or through the priest, or, or, or through the prophet, but he's gone. God will leave you with nobody in order to get you to listen to him. And the Bible teaches us that Saul looked at him and said, what am I supposed to do? He said, how can I tell you what to do seeing that God has forsaken you? Ooh. And the Bible tells us plainly that Saul tried to repent. He tried to get right. But you know, there are some things you can try to get right if they go long enough and severe enough. It's hard to get God's favor over your foolishness. I didn't say impossible. 
I said, it's hard. Be careful. Don't play. And the Bible says that Samuel looked at Saul, and I want you to look at a verse with me, if you will, please. Uh, Chris, <clears throat> step, have you got your Bible turned there, son? Step into that doorway, and for your blind daddy, I need for you to read 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse number 19. All right, hold it. Israel is going downhill because you taught them how. They're fixing to lose everything they've had and gotten for the simple reason you wanted to do it your way. Notice what he says. Now here's what he said. He said, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Now here's what I want to ask you a question tonight. If you had one day left, what would you do with it? If you had one day left, you've been put on notice that you've got one day to live, what would you do with it? You know, none of us think about dying when we're busy with living. Was it Tim McGraw, one of those gospel singers? Tim McGraw. He said he was going skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing. I don't expect you to be spiritual enough to understand what I'm saying, sir. It's okay. You, you're on the front row doing your best to get knowledge. He said, I'm going skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing. He said, I, I rode for 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. You a man. Yo, brother, if you can ride a bull for a second. He said, I wish that you would live like you were dying. I wish you'd live like you're dying. Now, if you'll get over the fact that I know a country song, we'll continue. <laughs> and if that bothers you, I don't care. <laughs> Ain't that one? <laughs> but what would I do if this time tomorrow I was leaving. I, I, have a, I have a boy at home that I took to a funeral with me one time and it was just a kid, a grandson, and he was sitting in the seat and, and, and I, I took him to this particular funeral and he, he, he said to me out of the blue, Papa, wouldn't you like to know where, where you were gonna die? I said, my soul, Austin, no. 
He said, I would. I'd like to know where I was going to die. I said, what in the world? Why? He said, because I wouldn't show up. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's a smart young'un. We rock a mountain climbing. We skydiving. We riding a bull named Fu Manchu. We ain't got no time for dying. But every time your heart beats, your internment is just around the corner. What would I do if I had one day left? That Chris told me a joke the other day. That, that doctor that told this man, he said, uh, he said, I've got some news to tell you. He said, it's bad news and it's worse news. He said, my soul. A doctor telling me bad news and worse news. He said, tell me the bad news first. He said, you've got one day to live. He said, well, what's worse than that? He said, I was supposed to tell you yesterday. He didn't even get his day. Let me ask you a question. And nobody knows if you're on your last day. See, here's the fact, not the fiction. The fact is I'm one heartbeat. I don't know who I'm talking to. I didn't want to do this. But I was made and sent. The fact of the matter is this. I could be living my last evening in Kannapolis. I'm just a heartbeat away from eternity. Just a heartbeat. So what would I do if I had... No, write this down somewhere in your Bible. Number one, I would make real sure... Let me say that again. I would make real sure. I would be sure. Do you know this little, little phrase up here? Sure enough. Sure enough. Assured with a blessed assurance that I was saved. I, I wouldn't be worried about what everybody was going to talk about me down at the church house. I wouldn't be worried about washing the car Sunday afternoon. I wouldn't be worried about Sister Wigglejaws and her opinion. I wouldn't be worried about all that preacher does without everybody's approval. I wouldn't be worried about how many deacons was at the deacons meeting. I wouldn't be worried about who got their hair done down at Sally's salon. I wouldn't be worried about, let, 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 me, let me just say to you tonight, it's important that we see what's important and what's important is we may just have one day left and if we do are we not Baptist are we uh, not catechized are we uh, not baptized are we not not memorized no 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 are we saved I don't know much I've never met a bull named Fu Manchu and if I do I won't get on him I got enough problem just putting my clothes on in the morning. I ain't about to try to extend it no further with no bull. 
I don't know much about a lot, and I don't know a lot about much, but I know this, I'm saved. I want you to think back with me to that night or that moment or that day or that Sunday school class or that soul winner when God reached further down than you could reach up. I remember running the streets of the city where I preach now. I can remember the dark, damnable hours that I spent outside of grace. I can remember the churchless days. I can remember no Bible on the coffee table. I can remember a godless daddy and a godless mother. I can remember being as lost as a ball in high weeds, but I can also remember the good glad hour when the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, oh, I feel something right there. Can I preach it like I feel it for just a minute? I sure am glad to tell you, hallelujah, the good glad Holy Ghost rolled through my life about 80 miles an hour and left an indelible impression that I've never gotten over and I got to stop long enough to say hallelujah, hallelujah. I'd make sure I was saved. I have never went with someone of authority to tell someone else that they were dying. I have never went with a doctor I have never went with another preacher to someone who was dying and they had found out that their days were numbered. I have been with plenty of those announcements, but I've never been with one to where the person started jumping up and down and, and, and giving me some kind of an agenda that made absolutely no sense. Every person I have ever been around that found out that they had days or hours or minutes left have gotten real serious about the time left. I don't care how old you are in this building tonight. I don't care how young you are in this building tonight. There is a Savior here who says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you've been with. I don't care what you've been doing. I don't care who you've been doing it with. There's a God clothed in mercy, a God clothed in wonder, and a God clothed in grace that'll bring your soul in out of the dark, stand you up in the light, and give you joy. Mm, unspeakable and full of glory. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Huh. <laughs> are, you, are you glad if you got that announcement that you would have hope to rest on? I'm not worried if a car swerves. And head on is my next contact. I'm not worried about heart trouble. I'm not trying to give myself any. I'm doing everything I can to stay alive. I am not, I am not trying to get on the next load out. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not worried about a stroke. I'm, the, I, I, I'm not saying I won't have one. 
I'm not worried about leukemia. I'm not worried about a brain aneurysm. I'm not worried about cancer. Because all they are is a taxi ride to him. Are you living your last day? Nobody knows that. Nobody ever has known it but Christ. He knew how he was going to die and prophesied it and foretold it and how it was going to happen and by what means. And he was the one that said, unto thy hands I commend my spirit. He turned his own death loose and his own life loose into the hands of God. The only man who had perfect control over his own death. And if he had perfect control over his own death, he sure can have perfect control over my life and yours. I'd make sure I was saved. Just two or three weeks ago, we had a member at the, at the doctor's hospital and the family called and said, the doctor said, mama won't live an hour. We don't know what we're gonna do, please come. I ran out there and she had slipped into a coma before I could get there and I couldn't make any sense to her. I couldn't get her to make any sense out of what I was saying. I just done a ragtag job of trying to reach her in a, in a stupor state. She came to after I left just long enough for one of the ladies in our church, Miss Ann Powell, to give her the gospel and she trusted him. But this is what she told. Ann told me this last night at church. She said, preacher, she told me, she said, when you're dying, nothing is as important as Jesus. Help me. And she was born again, and I buried her just a week or so ago. She slipped out into eternity just hours after the fact. Let me ask you this. Do you know you're saved? You say, preacher, I'm a member of the church. If being a member of a church can make you a Christian, can standing in a carport make you a Ford? When you become a Chevrolet because you're standing in the carport, then I'll believe your haphazard explanation that going to church is all you need. Thank God for church. Praise God for a full one. Thank God for a happy one. And thank God for a place where a preacher preaches the gospel like Brother Edwards does. Hallelujah to God. But let me ask you this. How many more coals have you heaped on your head by listening and not doing? If you hear, come to Christ, he'll save you. If you don't get saved, those are coals heaped on already burning material. Come to him. I'm scared to death for people today. Who was the old man's name that taught at Liberty there at the end and died? Do you know? Uh, what? No. B.R. Lakin. Thank you. 
B.R. Lakin said this. He said, if a man dies with five friends, he died successful. He said, and of all the churches he preached in, that 75 to 80% of the people in them were lost. He said, sitting under a church cathedral ceiling or under a cross or a steeple doesn't fix a man's fault. But only when he applies the blood of the lamb is he ready to meet God. Somebody give the Lord praise tonight that you're born again. If you're saved, you are privileged. Teenagers, singing in the choir is wonderful, but singing in the choir is not mandatory to be saved. Mandatory uh, mandatory to be saved is confession before Jesus and receiving him. Not singing a gospel song or performing a gospel uh, feat. Uh, Not preaching a sermon or standing in a pulpit. I had a friend just about 40 miles from us, 14 years, pastored a church at Clarks Hill, South Carolina. Under his own preaching one Sunday morning, quoted John 3.16, and Ficklin Gruen said that as he quoted it, for God, he said his throat closed down, his spirit rose up, and he said, God told me I had never done that. 14 years pastoring a church, He said, my legs gave way and my heart fell to the floor. And he said, on my knees in front of 200 people, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and was born again under his own preaching. So don't look at me and tell me that you're okay because you know him. I love you. And I want you to know, if you're on your last day, make sure you're born again. Number two, I'd make sure everything in my life was as clean as I could make it. I promise you, you tell me I'm dying this time tomorrow night, I am not going to bed. I'm not going to spend eight or ten hours of it asleep because you're not going to, if, if you know that you have 24 hours to live sleeping, worried about everybody else's business and talking on the telephone for two hours about nothing ain't probably gonna be on your agenda. You're gonna decide what is it that I need to fix? What is it I need to clean up? What is it? You wouldn't be saying, Lord, if I've done anything. You'd be saying, Lord, show me in particular what I've done so I can individually Repent of these things that I'm holding against myself and against you. Oh my, I would make sure that I was clean. I had a, I had a preacher that was diagnosed with cancer and was deteriorating, and he had run his mouth all over this state and south too about me. He said he heard me speak in tongues. Well, my wife has too, but she don't tell everybody. He said I was a charismatic, 
I guess because I didn't stand behind the pulpit and I moved out behind it. And every once in a while I get red in the face and my veins pop out four inches wide. And, 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 and look just as ugly and crazy and goofy as you, you can look. Maybe he assumed that I was so different I couldn't be like him. And so he spread around gossip. And then he got sick. And then he got sicker. And he was laying a bag of bones when he called me. He said, I'm days away from God. He said, I have a list by my bed of people that I have written down in the last week. My wife wrote for me. He said, I'm so weak I can't even write or think. He said, but your name is in this bunch of people. He, and then he told me what, I had no idea anybody was saying that I spoke in tongues. I had no idea I was that spiritual. I mean, anybody that knows Fu Manchu, he, he ain't hanging out with God long. And he told me, he went through some things he said, and, 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 I, I, and, then he, and he said to me, he said, you heard I had cancer. I said, yes, I heard that. We've prayed for you. He said, well, he said, now it has me. I don't have it anymore. It has me. He said, I'm dying, and I need your forgiveness. I said, sir, don't you ever worry another minute about me. It's okay. It wasn't two days or two and a half days later I heard that he had died. He spent all his time going through that list fixing his flaws. Wise man. But when you know you're going to meet God in 24 hours, you won't care how many square feet the preacher's house is. Now, if they own you about your house, I don't know it. God knows Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, I, I don't know nothing about your house. You're not gonna be worried about how much it costs to have them singers. How come we gotta give for that? That meat couldn't cost that much. Come on, y'all, what's really important when you got What would you not care about? That's what you need not to care about much now. Because the only thing that really matters is, is my life right with God? Would those words you say today come out of your mouth tonight if you knew you were dying tomorrow? Would you still be as brash to tell everybody what you know about so-and-so. Now, I love you. And I want us all to hook up this week and not take our money for nothing. But God to touch us and God to test us and God to try us to the point of bending and bending and bending for his glory. Getting the things out of us that don't need to be in us. 
We need to be like that little, they call it, an, I read this the other day, an ermine. E-U-M-I-N-E, or E-R-M-I-N-E, ermine. It's a rabbit in England. It only, it only habitates in England. And it has an unusual way they catch them. Dogs can't catch them. They're fast as lightning. Man, it's hard to find one to shoot it because they're so quick. But there's one thing they can do. If they can find out where they live, they put tar around the hole where they go in and all of them are white. And they will not go in where they're going to get dirty. They'll die in the mouth of a hound dog in front of their house, squatted down, ready to go in, but they won't go in because that target's on their white fur and they can't stand it. They won't eat and they perish if they get nasty. Oh, that God would give us some believers that would get to the place to where they feel like they're going to die if they get nasty and bow down and pray for his daddy to be healed. I believe your daddy could, would get in that particular situation if the church of God that's praying for him, such as yourself and all of us that are praying for him, would spend more time getting our closets cleaned out and our hearts washed up rather than sitting around talking about stuff that don't matter. Here's the last one. We'll go home. What was the first one? What would you do? I'd make sure I saved. Mike, how many people, uh, bro, Brother Edwards, how many people in this congregation have been saved here? Raise your hand if you've been saved in this ministry. Raise it high, way up. Way. If you've been saved here, that's wonderful. That's great. That, you say, well, there's a whole lot of people here that didn't raise their hand. There's a whole lot of people here that's not a member here, and there's a whole lot of people that are members here that didn't get saved here but prayed for others who did, and they have, they have a, 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 a coupon clipped. But we ought to be doing what we know 24 hours respects. Preach it like it was the last one. Teach it like it was the last one. Sing it like it was the last one. Get up and give it what you got like it's the last one because, because it may be. We're in another skirmish over the weekend. We got three bona fide wars going on right now and, and, and we're living in a day where the Bible is the newspaper. And we got Baptists sitting around, I don't know why, somebody ought to gag you. I'd make sure I was preaching it, and I'd make sure I was receiving it. Then I'd make sure that I was clean. You don't have to be perfect just willing to be clean. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to bring your nasty 
and let him clean your heart. I wonder how many Christians are in this building tonight that would pile up in this altar with me in just a moment and say, Lord, no more crack. Lord, no more dope. But we're in a church meeting, a jubilee. I said, no more dope. I don't care if somebody wrote you permission or sold it to you on the street corner. If you're abusing it, no more dope. I'm trusting Christ tonight. I'm not laid up with somebody I shouldn't be laid up with and I ain't running around with a questionable character. I'm going to separate and segment myself into a place of sanctification and honor God with my teenage life. You girls and boys pile up in this altar with me and let's ask God to cleanse us as if we knew you wouldn't harbor a blessed thing tonight in your heart from God if you knew tomorrow night at this time you're just going to have to give an account in eternity. And neither would I. Here's the last one. I'd tell everybody close to me what they need to know about getting in. I got eight. I said I would tell everybody close to me what they need to do to get in. I just know if somebody told me tonight you'll be dead by tomorrow night at seven o'clock. I would go, I have, I have three children. One of them back here, he has two babies. I have a girl at home, she has two babies. I have a boy in Raleigh that has three children. Seven grandchildren and three children and I promise you I would make them look me in the eye and tell me they know exactly what it's going to take to meet him saved. I know I would. I know I would. Say, why don't, have you done that? No, I haven't. Should I do it? If I live like I'm dying tomorrow, I ought to. That's just that preaching that comes to you while you're doing it. And touches you. Yes, I ought to. You don't want your daddy or your mother going to hell. They're not going to limbo. They're not going to go somewhere to a holdover. They're not going somewhere to a great divide. They're not going somewhere where they're going to be spiritually handled. They'll find themselves with Christ in glory or they'll find themselves in a Christless hell. Oh, my soul. If I had 24 hours to live, I'd probably be rolling the window down on the way at home at the red light, hollering at people that think God gets somebody and get this crazy man off of me. I probably would be telling them out the window. How would we act about getting people to this meeting if we knew tomorrow night was the last one on earth? It may be. You might have fixed your hair for the last time. You might have driven to church your last time. You have now to fix it. You have now to clean.
clean it up. But what if eternity rushes into your temporal and takes the clock from your hand and strikes midnight? I would want those close to me to be saved. My daddy got saved when he was 51. I'm done. My daddy got saved when he was 51. I was instrumental in him being saved. I prayed for him. I begged God to help him. I begged God to touch him. I begged God not to allow him ever to feel the fires or the heat of hell. God saved my daddy when he was 51 years old because one, one day in the hospital when he was about gone, I pleaded with him and I begged him and I, 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 I done everything I could. And he gave his life to Christ and he was saved and he was born again. And he encouraged me and got, got over some of the sickness for a while. And he encouraged my heart and, and, and set my spirit free from the thought that he would die without him. And he got in, but the only reason he did was because some people saw him on his last leg. I wonder if you have a daddy. I wonder if you have a mother. I wonder if you have a church member friend. Or I wonder if you have somebody in the youth group or somebody you know in this church that you would just leave from where you are right now. And the invitation would be this. You would come and kneel down and pray, oh God, don't let them die and go to hell. Right now, just come from where you are. There may be somebody here that would say, I don't know, preacher, for sure, that I'm born again. I was brought here tonight by a friend. I want to make sure, though, that my life is hid with Christ in God. I'm coming to the Lord tonight. You may be in that situation. Let Brother Edwards know. Let somebody know on the altar. Let me know. We'll pray with you and for you. You may be here tonight and you need to clean some things up. I wonder if you'd come by the grace of God and let God cleanse your heart. Or right where you are, bow your head and say, Dear Lord, don't let me have anything in my heart that would be unbecoming to a Christian or ungodly in your sight. Right now, maybe you're here and there's somebody close to you that you need to beg and plead with. Maybe there's somebody in your mind right now or in your mind's eye or in your heart that's lost. And right where you are, if you can't get to the front, right where you're seated, just bow your head and say, God in Jesus' name, save my boy. I pastored Brandon Morris's mother for several years. His brother went to school there with us. I've heard his mother weep on the altar and beg God on the altar, save my boy. Brandon was out in the world doing as he pleased, doing everything anti-Christ and anti-God, living his life as he pleased and kicking up a dust storm in God's face. He'll tell you in stronger words than I would, he was on his way to hell, but his mother stepped in to his pathway 
and began to pray and began to plead with God. One night, Brandon walked in the church house on a homeless mission bus. Life gone to the floor. He knelt down and asked Jesus Christ to be his Savior. It wasn't because I was preaching. It wasn't because the door was open in the church. It was because a mother prayed that wouldn't let him die without Jesus and she prayed till he came home. Why don't you tonight do the same thing for your boy or girl, the same thing for your dad and mother, the same thing for your cousins, your neighbors. How about them next door neighbors, them folks you work with? That if they died tonight, they wouldn't go somewhere that would be painful. They're going somewhere that's going to be agonizing and hurtful and harmful for all eternity. Father, work in our hearts and lives tonight. Don't let anybody leave without the impact of what they've heard saturating their heart, colliding with their spirit. Bless Brother Edwards as he takes this church in the direction of people, in the direction of hope, in the direction of mercy and grace. Thank you for him. And thank you for the fellowship we have here every time we come. Honor it tonight. In the name of Jesus.